everybody, welcome to the Neighbors Church podcast. It's uh, April 28th by the time we're posting this, and so, uh, so glad you're listening in. This is a continuation. We've started a short, very short, little mini-series on the topic of shame. And um, it's really interesting to me because, you know, when this topic came up, I was just very uncertain about it, and I think I told you guys in our last round of conversations with my wife that this is like recording number, I don't know, it feels like recording number nine or ten of all these conversations because shame, man. Like, you get into talking about it, and you feel overwhelmed, and your body feels all weird, and then you go back and you second guess what you said, and then you're like, well, that... That raises too many questions and we're leaving our listeners hanging and I mean, just over and over and over. And so we landed on this idea of, you know what, let's not do shame as this big macro kind of thing out there. Let's just talk about shame as, as a staff and with our friends. And so that's exactly what we're doing. And so today, um, yeah, it's, it is for my wife and I, it's hard to express the gift that this couple is to us personally, to um, to our family, to our church. Today, I'm going to be sitting here having a conversation with our, we call him our intergalactic space <laughs> worship production engineer, leader, yeah. guru All guy, the one and only. Oh, yeah. Joshua, the Shua Shua Randall. I'm not going to do fake Christian humility. I receive all of that. (laughs) So we're doing Shua shame today. (laughs) (laughs) Shua shame. Yes, it's a very specific breed of shame. (laughs) Oh my gosh, dear friend. Uh, You know, let's let's jump right into it. Uh, We got some heavy stuff to talk about today. Shame in and of itself is a heavy topic. Mm -hmm. Um, Around this time, we're going to be just with the recent events, which we'll talk about probably in this conversation. Mm -hmm. There's just a weightiness to what we're getting into. And so I literally um, just want to hear where your meditation, where your thought process has been, because you're actually the one that instigated this whole shame conversation. You want to talk a little bit about how that even came up? I instigated it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. uh, We were doing, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but we had a a conversation with um, a couple of people on our leadership team, Weston and um, my wife and you and Alexis. And I was there and I was recording and you made a passing statement at the end of it, which was, well, you know, well, shame, shame can be a good thing. And I was completely taken aback by that statement. I was like, wait, what are you? Okay. First of all, I grew up in youth group, right? I was a religious kid and every sermon from youth pastor was like, shame is of the devil. (laughs) You know, he's coming at you with shame and God is going to take away your shame and your guilt. And, and of course, that was just a statement. It was just like a, it was almost like a tweet. But yeah. I didn't really have a theology behind it. But I had this gut reaction like, are you even a pastor, Dan? Or like, <laughs> did you even go to seminary like me? Um, which I did not. Um, but I had that gut reaction. What do you mean? I, shame, shame can't be a good thing. And so it sparked, We oh, we need to have a conversation around this, um, which is why we're here. You know, what's so funny to me is that in and of itself is a mark of the power of shame. Mm -hmm. The fact that I can drop just a little, what I thought was a profound theological bomb uh, 
and it has mm-hmm. sparked months now of recordings and mm-hmm. conversations and meditation and triggering in our oh, bodies yeah. Oh, yeah. where we have found ourselves saying all these things. This is, mm-hmm. this is the power, the power of shame. And I want to remind you guys, Shua said something important, youth pastors, youth pastors of the world, we've all, I was a youth pastor for almost a decade, we've all told our kids, yeah, shame is of the devil. <laughs> and uh, modern neuroscience and great shame researchers like Kurt Thompson are actually um, highlighting that very theological truth that uh, Thompson says shame is actually a vector. It's a means by which God or by which the devil manipulates humans and, and confuses humans. And Mm -hmm. the psychological language is disintegration of this, of the, of the psyche and the soul disintegration. And so there's a dividing that Satan uses with shame and I'm not defending myself anymore on my little dropped comment. The longer that I've thought about it, it's a very nuanced argument that shame can and in some scenarios be a good thing. But for the most part, we don't like shame, nor mm-hmm. do we want to deal with it. And we certainly acknowledge that the devil is using it. So in just story format, which is how we're tackling this topic, um, we believe that just by sharing our stories of shame, you, dear listener, can identify with another human being and you can find yourself saying, wow, while the patterns or the memories are very different, the, the experience of shame is so ubiquitous. It's so common amongst all humans. And we're hoping and praying that you can have a little light in the darkness through these stories uh, around shame. Mm-hmm. Shua. Your shame, my friend. Yeah. Talk a little bit about Shua shame. Shua shame. Talk it about has to be specific and unique, <laughs> like a four, like the four that I am. <laughs> Enneagram four shame. Yeah, Shua yeah. shame. Shua shame. <laughs> uh, well, let's let's get into the guts of it. Shame starts when we're kids. That's what we're finding in all of these stories. Right. Uh, it starts very. It starts at a very young age. The great tragedy of the devil is that he doesn't discern. Um, and decide he's only going to hit 18-year-old and above adults. Shame starts in our earliest memories. Where are you at with all that? How have you been thinking through your life? Yeah, it starts when you're young, and it started for me when I was young. I grew up in a religious household. As as I said, we were, um, you know, orthodox, evangelical Christians. I found myself in a bunch of different contexts in that world uh, from, like, sort of black gospel e-churches to like everybody's white, uh, you know, Calvary Chapel uh-huh. uh, to Pentecostal churches where the pastor was white and everybody was Hispanic and <laughs> or, you know, just a, a billion different contexts. I found myself in a lot of different churches growing up. And so that narrative, the narrative of the Bible actually, which was beautiful and I'm really grateful for, kind of saturated my whole world. It was the basic idea that there was light and darkness, that there was like almost like heroes and villains. Like, oh, and I was like, as a kid, you're just like, whoa, that's crazy. So you have Moses and you have David and you have Elijah and then you have, you know, the disciples and then like the best hero of all, Jesus. And so you start to frame your mindset around that. There's good and there's bad. And I, like my parents have told me that I'm supposed to be good. Mm. This is what I want to be and this is what I want to do. What isn't laid out there, I think sometimes, is the incongruence between those stories and who you're being asked to be and who you actually are. And so 
the first bits of shame in my life were all around, okay, I have these ideas, but I, one, I, I kind of I mess up sometimes. I'm not as like smart as I want to be or smart as I'm supposed to be based on these stories or strong like 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 Samson or David or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm not like um, I'm maybe I'm not even like spiritual enough if I could really wrap my mind around that as like a nine year old. I was like, I don't I don't hear God like I'm reading the Bible and they're like it's like words on the page. I'm assuming God yeah. is talking and I, I've never heard that before. And the sense of shame starts to sink in and mostly sink in when I found myself, I'm supposed to be the good one. And sometimes I, I like disobey my parents. I don't listen to them and I don't want to. And I want in part, I'm like, I don't want to. And all the adrenaline kicks in and you're just like, you know, that sort of inner child tantrum. But I had a, the wherewithal to actually feel as well. This isn't the way I'm supposed to feel. Huh? Like, I feel like the bad guy right now. And there was a lot of shame around that, the incongruence between all of these stories, all of these narratives, what the the conversation in church was or in kids' church was, and who I was. And then people saying, literally, to you, not not with intention to bring about shame, but you're supposed to be this and you're doing this. You're acting like this, but you're supposed to be acting like this. So let me ask you, do you, do you think that some of that... You know, the gospel renewal movement, the kind of the neo-Calvinist movement that started in the late 90s, early 2000s, really brought about a resurgence of what we call gospel centrality. Mm -hmm. So you take voices like Keller, Tim Keller, who Mm -hmm. would say, we all need to reread the text. You're not supposed to be like David. Mm -hmm. You are looking at David, who is pointing to the greater David, who goes and slays the giants for you. Do you think that as a little kid because children seem to be so reductionistic and so black and white, there's no nuance in their thinking. Was there any way for the church to present to you the very nuanced idea of the gospel or your parents? Or was it just like you were getting straight up, you got to be like David, you're not being like David, Mm -hmm. you should feel bad about that. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't think that was anyone's intent. Yeah. But in part, that's almost how it's laid out there. I think the way to... And, and in, in certain cases, I can remember these other lessons. And it was this lesson, but it was, it was so seldom. Mm-hmm. Grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember my mom looking at me and saying, oh, here's this thing. You don't deserve it, but here it is. But for some reason, mostly what I was hearing is like, you don't deserve it. <laughs> like, like hey, you, you don't deserve it, but here it is. Or you do deserve this but I'm not going to give it to you because of mercy or whatever. Um, and getting those concepts. And I still, it didn't make me feel any better. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't make, I was like, oh, good, I guess. Man, hey, you're really crappy, but I'm going to give this to you yeah, anyways. Yeah. It didn't, that didn't sink in for me as a child. I was just like, just okay, give so me. I'm bad. Yeah. I'm just bad. Yeah, I am bad. There is something wrong with me. Um. And despite this message of Jesus, because it wasn't, when I was a kid, there wasn't the nuance. There was just, Jesus didn't come in my imagination to save me from my sinful self. When you're a kid, you're like, what? Sinful self? I right. just, I want what I want. And if I don't get it, I'm going to scream. Yep. That, that's it. You instead were like, I'm, I'm giving my life to Jesus so I won't go to this like dark, scary place, hell. Yeah. That was it. And so just hearing that I was, or that there was something wrong for, with me, which, you know, 
as you get older, you start to understand and maybe come to terms with, and there isn't so much shame around it. When you're a kid, I think it's a tool of Satan to say, there's something wrong with you. Let that set into your bones. And you can see the insidious nature of the devil right. using shame as a vector here mm-hmm. or as an agent, as a, as a volitional agent in that the very systems that God would give to us, scripture, stories of David, the very things that God would give to us to bring hope to our souls and to bring peace, Satan turns and twists in the interpretive process or in the receiving process or in the teaching process to demean and to cut down. And it's these systems um, in every one of our conversations, these religious systems in particular are just chock full of shame. You can see that the system itself is just saturated with shame from the teachers that are presenting these texts Mm -hmm. in the way that they're taught to the listeners who are receiving these texts. So Mm -hmm. talk a little bit, Shu, about how, I mean, you're a super, super wise and and analytical and, and very intelligent thinker. How have you journeyed from the little kid in a context of I'm not David to where you are now theologically? How, is you, how have you developed? Well, with time, you begin to see that not everything is so black and white, right? It's the black and white that really unchecked can settle into your bones. And for me, it led to things like depression, things like anxiety. I'm not at the level that I want to be at. I'm not like this person who I see and I want to be like the David, the Moses, the Jesus I'm not that, and so therefore there must be something wrong with me. And then with time, you start to see the nuance in that. Actually, I need, there, there is something wrong with me. It's not necessarily like directly my fault. This is the space and the place I'm, I'm born into. As humans, we're, we're, we're fallen. We've all kind of turned our back on God. But like actually seeing the hope through that, um, is kind of actually still now daily all the time is what I have to remind myself. That is not the original intent of who I am or the way God created me, any of it. It's not like God created me bad, the end, and then <laughs> he's come to to make that better. No, he, he his intent for us is like loved sons and daughters that he put into the world to like take the raw materials of it and make beauty out of it Mm -hmm. and partnership with him. I didn't get that. Mm -hmm. Like there's, that wasn't taught in Sunday school. There was not like you, you were created and loved by God. And he's like, he wants to work with you. And it's, you're sometimes you're weak, but like, he's really going to be strong for you. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't, pick up the nuance. There's actually a song that says that, that actually says, uh, uh, I'm weak, but he is strong, mm-hmm. which is actually really interesting. All I heard was like, he's going to make weak. me strong. I'm weak. I'm weak. And if I'm, you know, <laughs> if I'm not strong, then he's not doing the thing that he said he's going to do. But I learned the nuance, like God, God's first thoughts towards me are a loved child that he wants to partner with in the world to like, continue to cultivate. Well, uh, I got to emphasize that. That's uh, that's worth the price of admission to the Neighbors Church podcast <laughs> right there. God's first heart towards us is as loved children. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, dear listener, <laughs> the, the, the pathway to your own uh, deliverance and healing from the shame narratives that are driving you from either religious structures or secular structures, whatever it may be, is coming to fight. You have to fight to believe that you are first and foremost loved. Right. And, um, you know, I wasn't raised in the church. And as I listen to your stories, my wife, you, Joel, who you guys will hear in the next conversation, um, I don't have any categories for this. My shame was, you know, I was a skinny little kid and my dad was kind of a non-emotional, very critical type mm-hmm. father. And I, by the way, I love my father more than anything. We all have our daddy wounds and our dads were doing the best they could. Suffice it to say, I, man, I just... I grew up believing that I was something was really wrong with me, mm-hmm. and um, and then I came into the church, and I'll be honest, the church I was just like, what the, what is this? <laughs> there are all these people, yeah. and I knew Jesus loved me. Yeah, like it was yeah. the first time I had ever experienced unconditional love mm-hmm. in my spirit. Right, when I was like, right. I am a really dirty person. Like right. I came out of a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, and a lot of girls, dude. Everything right. that the church would say is shameful. And right. I was a shameful person. Right. But when I thought of Jesus, I was like, but I know he loves me and that's healing me. And then I came into the church and I was right. like, what is wrong with all of you people? Why are you not happy or yeah, what? Where are yeah. your smiles? Do you understand mm-hmm. what you have been freed from? Yep. And then the weirdest thing, dude, the church and Satan using the church and theology as a vector... I just began to unquestioningly drink the the kind of self-destructive Kool-Aid that actually God's first foot forward with you, Dan, is original sin. You are only bad through and through. And therefore, if anything good comes, well, the only reason it comes is because God is gracious. And I suppose that's true, but Mm -hmm. it's certainly not because you're a good person that he's partnering with to do good through. Yeah. And dude, I entered into some theological days in my own journey that um, almost caused me to leave not only the church, but Jesus. I was so shamed mm-hmm. by what I had been taught and by what was actually happening in reality Yeah, that I was just like, this is dumb. I, mm-hmm. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. So all of us are going to have our process. Yeah. We're all going to have our, uh, right. our journey. And uh, friend, you need to know you're not alone. One foot in front of the other. Like Shua said, there's these discoveries you make, these nuances, and we all have to make them mm-hmm. in our process of healing. Right, right. The, the, the difficult part about coming into a community uh, like the church, especially kind of maybe in the, maybe the 80s through the early 2000s is, is, that, is that very thing. Especially if you grew up in it. It's like mm. you hear it all the time. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Um, the Bible tells me so, and then the the world around you is completely conditional. Mm-hmm. Completely conditional. It's really interesting to hear that on its flipped on its head. Like you come in, you're like unconditional love. What? This is nuts. I completely, even though I heard that all the time, my experience of it was yeah, it wasn't the same. It was incongruent. I was like, this is completely conditional. When I do good, I receive love. When I say the right things, do the right things, say the Bible verse, et cetera, et cetera, that's when I receive love. Hmm. And when I don't, it's bad. 
Do you think, Shua, this is just popping in my mind right now, that silence and solitude are a means of healing shame because in silence and in solitude, you're doing nothing. You and I were just having a conversation yes, about that. Yeah, you're getting ready right. to teach on silence and solitude for our uh-huh. net, for our community. Yep. You're talking about it helps you shed the false self. So you've basically come up with these coping mechanisms with the world. Okay, love isn't conditional. So I'm going to create ways or patterns in my life so that I can receive love, the mm-hmm. love that I need. Mm-hmm. Um, as, a, as a Christian, those are... I'm going to pray the right way. I'm going to say these scriptures. I'm going to talk in this sort of tone, even like do the right events, do the right evangelism thing, do the right evangelism. If I'm a leader in the church, I'm going to lead this way, talk this way. I'm not going to say these group of words. (laughs) I'm not going to say these things and I'm going to say these things. And in silence, you strip the false self, like you were saying. You just have to be. You can't, there's no, you can't say anything. Like that's the whole practice. shut up, (laughs) like don't Mm -hmm. say anything, be, just exist, you're going to sit in silence and be with God. And you're very likely in that space going to experience some fear, some um, uncomfortability, Mm -hmm. because you're not used to just being yourself without the sound, without the noise, without the coping mechanisms. With time though, you're able to see yourself more clearly. Mm. And your loved self. Your loved self. Mm. And by that, like the very love of God and who God is to you as well. Yeah, all the fig leaves come off. Exactly. The practice of silence, particularly silence in deep solitude, like three, four day monastery retreats. Which for I me. still need to do. Yeah, well, we'll get you. We'll, I think we're going to do it gonna, before I teach. Which would yeah, be fun. there's no monasteries open. I'll send you backpacking in the sawtooth. So I got lost last summer. That's a whole story <laughs> in and of itself. I'm just going to get lost in the woods. Yeah, dude. Gonna have to FaceTime into the teaching. <laughs> um, yeah, this. Uh, I mean, I just want to keep some bullet points in front of you as you're listening to this. The process of healing shame is recognizing that all of our communities unintentionally are being used as vectors of shame. Right. They're deformed not by, well, some are consciously using shame as a tool. Other, mm-hmm. For 95% of parents and pastors and churches, that's not the case. It's unconscious. It's unconscious because shame is so insidious. So you have to... You have to hold on to hope that nuance and discovery is going to be made about the broader realities of theological truth that are saving you. And then there are practices that you do engage with, things like silence and solitude that help slow down the coping and the camouflaging mechanisms, you know, what psychologists call the attachment patterns, um, what St. Paul called the flesh uh, there's all sorts of terms for these these processes that the human soul uses to compensate for this sense of disintegration and this sense that I am going to be destroyed and divided from that which I need to be accepted by. That's what shame. That's what shame is. I wanna I wanna shift gears maybe just a little bit here. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the reasons that I really felt like it was so important to talk to you and. Um, yeah, I think this this is going to be heavy. It's a heavy day. Yeah. Um, we we are recording this, uh, you know, just uh, what two days now after the shooting of Dante, right? Yeah. Okay. Right. So um, it's like you said, Shu. It's like all of a sudden in this moment, you sitting on the couch and me sitting here in the chair. I think you put it well. It's like everything's been put on rewind, mm-hmm. and everybody's saying the same thing. The reactions are all the same. And 
um, I had asked you, you know, as a black brother of mine, how are you doing? And part of what we wanted to to explore in this conversation was um, the nature of shame that you've experienced because of race. Right. And then this is, dear listener, <laughs> I got to tell you, this piece of the conversation, we've tried to record this before and it's just heavy. And um, I think this is going to be the one where we just boldly launch into it and let the questions remain the questions. You know, there is such brokenness in our world that some of these things are not going to find resolve. We're going to live in the tension. But Shua and I, as Christian brothers, um, I think we feel a sense of responsibility, me in particular as a white heterosexual male, to just sit here and listen and shut up and just listen with love. Uh, to a very wise uh, brother, and really for us to listen uh, to him and his experience of, um, how'd you describe it? Shame and race, your personal experience, not yes, your brothers, not exactly. the black community, but you personally. Right. So I can't speak for everyone. I'm reading Embodied right now by Preston Sprinkle, and he's talking about oh, yeah. trans conversation, and not that there's a direct correlation, but he says, and I think it's applicable everywhere, you've met, if you met a trans person, then you've met one trans person. Yep, yep. Um, if you've met a black person, you've met a single black person. You have yep. not, uh, there, there's no monolith to it. It's not monolithic of blackness. And so mm. my personal story, if you can't tell, I am black uh, by the sound of my voice. Most people say I sound like like a young Asian American <laughs> over the <laughs> over the phone. Uh, so I'm out here ripping everybody. Hashtag uh, stop Asian hate. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. Hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. Um, <laughs> When I was young, um, I grew up uh, loving comic books. My dad, he drew. He drew comic book characters, and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And so I was obsessed with superheroes. Long, you know, I, was, I had my Bible superheroes, and then I had my like, comic book superheroes. In fact, across from me, there is a big stack of comic books um, against this garage door right here. Uh, it's like way too heavy, and it's... it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> My wife wants me to get rid of it. Have you shown Joby that corner yet? I haven't shown him all of the books, but I'm sure he'd be stoked on it. Oh, dude, he's hardcore. Um, uh, and I would be in a lot of different contexts, but a lot of time the churches we were in when I was growing up or the spaces I was in or interested in school or, or whatever it was, um, I was usually one of the few black kids around. And so I found myself, you know, a kid, playing imagination and you're running around you're like okay i'm this character and i'm this character and i'm this character and you know it would come to somebody's first of all it would be somebody's being superman some somebody's being batman and then i wanted to be i don't know spider-man or whatever which let's be clear as a huge nerd those are completely different storylines dc marvel they're not the same thing um and i (laughs) but i didn't get that as a kid i was like well i want to be spider-man and the kids you know, who were being Superman, Batman, they would say, whoa, 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 what do you mean you want to be Spider-Man? You can't be Spider-Man because you're brown. Mm. Like, Spider-Man isn't brown. Peter Parker isn't brown. Uh, Clark Kent isn't brown. Bruce Wayne isn't brown. Wolverine isn't brown. Cyclops isn't brown. You could just go down the list of all the popular yeah. superheroes that everyone loved. Especially and I wasn't, back then. Especially back then. I was like, I'm not allowed to be any of these um, they weren't, they weren't, Black Panther wasn't really that cool back then. My dad thought he was cool, but that's because my dad grew up 
in like Southeast San Diego in the eighties. And he was like, here's the black superhero. I'm holding on to it, <laughs> you yeah. know? And, and I, I just found myself feeling shame for that. Like, Oh, I, I am not like everyone else around me. Like I, there's something in me that is not, even, even in, in the game of imagination, it, right. It wasn't real. It wasn't even real, but even in that context, I wasn't allowed to be the hero. I found myself in that position quite a bit growing up, whether I'd be like watching a movie and you kind of try and put yourself in the shoes of the main characters. And Can I interrupt you and ask you a yes. very specific question? And yeah. it, it may sound like an off question, but I'm more curious. Can you remember and even now feel and describe in your body, you can't be Spider-Man, you're brown. Yeah. What do you experience in your body? And do you still feel that in some measure as a 26 year old adult. You know, you know what, actually, one, there was like a, a, a tension in the chest and in my mind, there was a lot of confusion. Questions start springing up immediately for me. Well, what, what do you, what do you mean? We're, we're just imagining. We're just, this is all made up. They're not real. And dividing, a disintegration yeah. from the people around you. Yes, I'm, I'm Disintegration not, from what makes sense what in your you brain. Mean, yeah, what do you mean? I can't be, you. but you can be this, you can be this. And I'm not allowed to, because of the color of my skin, be who I want to be, essentially, or who even you, the world wants to be. Like, there's this standard up here. These are the heroes. These are like the best of the best, especially when you're mm. a child, like superheroes. That's mm -hmm. what we all want to be. You can't be it because of the color of your skin. Mm. And that drove into my mind. And uh, it was conf I was so confused for a long mm. time. And the resolution I came up with was, oh, well, I need to, in every way that I can, begin ridding myself of the idea that I'm black. Like, I'm not, I'm not black. And my parents would maybe sometimes help with that. <laughs> they would say, oh, you're not, you're not, you're not defined by the color of your skin. You're not black. You're just Joshua. Mm -hmm. So I ran with that for a long time. Yeah. I'm not black. I'm just Joshua. I'm just the person that I am. Like, part, sure, that's true. And that's probably like an, an, an uh, I'm asking, that's an innocent attempt on the part of black parents to help their children yeah, or my, my have parents, value yeah. a sense of yeah. value in this world. Yeah, and that was I think that was probably specific to like the conservative evangelical world that Got parents it. would would do that. I don't know that in other contexts, black parents would really do that a whole bunch. It's um, an unintentional color blindness. It's an it's a it's it's an unintentional, and they kind of back it up with with the scripture, <laughs> like, <sighs> oh, you know, you're just Jesus loves you, and you just are who you are, but you're not you're not black. You know, wow. that's, that's also confusing. So I would do what hmm. culturally people call whitewashing, like myself. I went from just trying to rid myself of the way I certain, my, my cousins would talk in a certain way. And I'd be like, I don't want to talk like that because then I'd be associated with that. So instead of saying the most basic example is instead of saying ax, like I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. And I really practiced that for a while. Like ask, ask, ask. I would literally sit in the mirror and do that to try and make myself more acceptable to the people that I found myself around um, so that maybe I'd have a shot in this life. <laughs> this, the standard that it's just so incredible to me 
the effort that you would have to make to to be acceptable to the whatever the perceived standard was. I think about you know so many people. This it's like gals that are or even men that are wrestling with body image and what you'll put your body through so that you can be accepted to the standard of the the I don't know the airbrushed magazine cover right. and the standard that a young black person whatever if you're in a predominantly white context mm-hmm. the standard that you feel like you have to practice the right. way you talk right and this is where i just i i will confess i feel almost a sense of shame of not being of being so ignorant mm-hmm. of this reality uh, until I came into the church and really until a number of years ago. And so even saying that out loud is helpful for me as a, a white friend to my black brother mm-hmm. saying, yeah, I experience a sense of shame, not knowing, not being aware, not mm-hmm. caring, being raised in a, a rural white context. And now so many of my friends that are black sharing very, very similar stories. And so for me, the way to process my shame is to sit here with my black friend and say, right. I experience shame in that as you're st- telling your story and then the two of us can look each other in the eye and say, yeah. and I love you. Yeah, exactly. And we're together you need that. <laughs> and we're not dividing from one another exactly. and we're, and I'm kind of getting teary eyed because we're not disintegrating in mm-hmm. this moment. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, Shua, I believe with all my heart, this is the hope of the world, the church, mm-hmm. you and exactly. I doing this. Yeah, you need someone across from you telling you that shame, that doesn't, that doesn't belong. It's yeah. not, you're not supposed to experience shame over something like that. Now, you might feel it, but me, as your brother, I'm supposed to look at you and say, okay, here we are. Maybe you didn't see that, but there's, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with you. You grew up in the context in the world that you did, understanding the world in one way, and now you're here sitting across from someone that doesn't look like you, and you see it differently. Yeah. What shame wants to do is have you hide those things away. Yep. I'm ju- I'm either going to deny them. That yeah. This is not even real. Yep. I'm going to overcompensate. What are you talking about? I'm not color. I'm not, you know, I'm not yeah. like, uh, I'm not racist. I don't even see color or whatever people do. They, they'll they try to hide it down. People do this with a billion, a billion different yeah. things. With sexuality, yep. with race, with, with, with politics. It's just like when they feel the sense of shame start to sink in, we'll deny it. Instead of doing what you just did, I feel a sense of shame. And trusting the person across from you to meet you with love and say, yeah. don't, don't feel ashamed. Just like sit here with me, look me in the eyes, acknowledge my humanity. Yeah. Like, and you have, which is, I'm really grateful for. Yeah, I'm grateful for you too. I think what's profound to me is this is the, the I mean, you and I imperfectly are trying to express the ideal of the kingdom. Right. And like Brene Brown would say, this is horrifically vulnerable for you, right. for me together. Uh, because in a sense, there's a, a nudity in the sense mm-hmm. that the Hebrew sages talked about. Right. They were naked and unashamed with God in the garden. Right. And the closer we get to this healing process, the more stripped we are, not only with God, but with one another. Um, so Shua, you, yeah, you have bridged so many gaps. What has been your process in the, the reconciliation of where you are now towards healing uh, as a black man, Mm -hmm. not a black representative. This has been, Mm -hmm. this has been some of your most profound stuff with me has been when we've been having these conversations, but as Mm -hmm. Shua, 
How has Shua's shame been healed <laughs> as a black yeah. man yeah. raised in a religious context, mm-hmm. uh, very public figure and leader in the church now? How is this, where, how, where are you at in this whole process towards healing? A lot of it comes from actually being allowed to say these things out loud and be met with love, with empathy, with compassion. Um, when you when you don't try and hide it, your shame, and you put it out there, it's like a vampire shame. <laughs> like you put it in the light, it's gonna burn up, it's gonna hiss, it's gonna cr- crawl away and die. <laughs> Um, but allowed to just sit in the dark and fester and hide under our coping mechanisms the way we've tried to fix it, um, it'll just continue to grow. That's, that's, just, that's just what happens. And so I've, I've learned in, in so many aspects, like you need, you need to be able to talk about these things. Mm. Part of that for me is like the simple practice of like therapy. Yep. Going and being counseled, whether it be a spiritual director, a pastor, a therapist, uh, w- whatever it is, like you need to sit down across from someone, maybe even someone whose job it is to be like compassionate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you, there's there's sometimes in your space in your life you, you might not have that for yourself, where you find yourself you might not find yourself around a lot of compassionate people, mm-hmm. um, which like. Our prayer for your life is as you hear this, you hear our, our voices of compassion. Like we we get it. We understand this from our own aspect. Mm. And there are a billion different ways you can experience this shame. But talking about it with someone and receiving compassion and then also realizing in that, like I needed to sit down across from a therapist and say these things and receive compassion, not just so I could receive it from a human. But in that interaction, it was almost like I was receiving compassion and love and empathy from from christ Mm. like i was seeing the love of christ like through community Mm -hmm. through communion with another person Mm -hmm. like that that like the first time i sat down with my therapist and he actually like he welled up with tears and i was like you're not supposed to well up with tears it's like your job (laughs) and i walked away from that feeling so i was like oh he he was he wasn't ashamed of me Mm. like he felt compassion for me like he didn't turn his back or try to fix me. What what is this? <laughs> Wait, what what's what's going on? What's happening to me? <laughs> and it was like I felt God saying to me, I, I have compassion for you. That's the way I see you. My, when I when I've seen different parts of your life where you've where people have turned their back on you or um undermined you or or just overlooked you, um said this about you that you're not good enough, I my my eyes well up with tears mm. because mm. I'm, I'm so against that. Mm. And it breaks his heart when we begin to believe them. And then he, he doesn't just sit there brokenhearted. He almost aggressively chases it down to destroy, to destroy shame. Like yeah. shame is of the devil, the enemy of God. Um, and the enemy of intimacy. God wants closeness with us, and shame tries to like chain us hand and foot so we cannot move towards God, but God moves towards us. What you're describing is, uh, is the deep work of what the mystics called, the contemplatives called soul formation, mm-hmm. um, what my therapist slash 
spiritual director just called hard work. Mm-hmm. It's, and, um, you know, if, if you're listening to this and you just find yourself, the shame narrative right now is like, it creates a sense of hopelessness. I'm never going to be free from my anxiety. I'm never going to be free from depression. And in some ways, you know, at Neighbors and we as a collective leadership team would say, maybe that's true in some measure. Maybe God has given you those things as like a Jacob's limp. They're going to be like shepherds that always take you back to Jesus, but Mm -hmm. they take you to Jesus. Shame, Shame takes you away from Jesus. And what you're hearing here is the long, lifelong process of hard work of coming through and developing some nuance in your theology, finding forgiveness for the system that instigated or created or catalyzed the level of shame that you deal with or the people that shamed you, finding forgiveness in that, doing the what I think is maybe the hardest work of the spiritual disciplines, yeah. secret, silent solitude, where nobody knows but you and the Father yeah. in our distracted frenetic pace that's some of the mm-hmm. hardest stuff to do. Mm-hmm. And then um, Joel, who you guys will hear in our next conversation, um, he actually said at one point, it's beautiful to be silent and in the solitude yeah. with Jesus, but you need another human hand to tell you you're loved. Exactly, yeah. So you need community around you. And this can be so discouraging because if you've been in the church for more than a year, you've already got a couple church wounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the community's broken. Yeah. Shua... What do we tell our dear friends right now who are like, well, it's great. You two are sitting in Shua's garage. You guys obviously really love each other. You guys got a great thing going on there. I'm in my car or I'm doing dishes by myself and I'm crying my eyes right now because I haven't had a friend in 20 years. What, what do we tell this person? What would you in your own journey say? Yeah, for a long time I did. I felt like that. And that's that's another um, thing, the voice of the enemy saying, you're alone. Mm. Mm-hmm. You have no one. Part of that was like the thorn in the side that I had to sit with for a while. My Didn't, grace is sufficient. Yeah. Mm. Got, like, he's grace for me for a long time. It was just a prayer. Like, Lord, I, I, I feel this way and I have no idea what to do with it. I don't really have necessarily the, the 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 community around me the consistent diligent community um prophesying against those things like speaking into my life like the word of encouragement that is not just like sort of like just christian vocabulary but like i actually know you i spend every other day with you um i'm in the trenches with you and not just doing ministry but life yep. and can i say this to you as i've sat in silence with god i i heard this for you. I didn't have that for a while. Yeah. Um, me neither. And so it was just a prayer. And, and let me tell you like that, that it's not only that, um, that's going to have to be enough. Sorry. It's like that, that is enough. If you're in that place right now and you just feel broken down and you don't, maybe you don't even hear the voice of God. You're like, God is ministering to you in the silent places, in the, in, the, in the underground places where you don't feel it, where you don't get it yet. And he's working behind the scenes. Like this community that I'm in right now, my wife and I, and before I even knew my wife, I was praying for for a very long time. And then I found myself in it. And it's the answer to so many prayers. And 
they're going to hurt me as well. <laughs> like, I was just going to say. They're gonna, they're gonna, it's not that this is the... the it's imperfect. Yeah, it's I always going to be imperfect. I haven't arrived. Like, this isn't... This is it. Like, I'm going to hurt Dan's feelings. Dan is going to hurt my feelings. Maybe even say some things that spark up shame. But you continuously bring that into the light. And you have to have this rhythm of communing with God in ways. You bring that shame to him. You bring that shame to community. And you say, I, I can't carry this alone. Do you think, do you think, Shua, there's some healing in just stopping chasing the unicorn at the end yes. of the rainbow, riding, you know, Bigfoot's riding, hanging yes. out with the leprechaun? It just, yeah. what we're chasing doesn't exist. So we're fighting a, a war. We're like fighting mm-hmm. a fog yeah. that we're never going to see clearly through. Yes. Yeah, two, two more things that I'll say. One, that when I was a kid, right, I believed, okay, here's the standard. I need to get there. Mm. It's, 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 it's a bill of false goods. You will never, like in, in the course of your life, our prayer is that as Jesus forms you, you'll continue to grow and mature and change and he'll shape your life. But you might be 97 years old and the day before you die, experience a moment of shame. Mm. That shame can either be heavy and weighty and break you or as you continue to practice it, just I, I accept this for what it is. Mm. Like I... I'm going to experience this and Jesus is with me. He he walks with me as I experience these pains and he's patiently like putting salve in the wounds. Mm. And and it's not just that that's enough. That that's more than we even deserve sometimes, but he it's what he wants to give us. It's what he wants to it's the way he wants to love us in this life and time. The second thing one, I'm gonna I'm gonna point this out again because we might not have to have a whole other conversation. <laughs> you dropped another bomb oh. <laughs> a little while ago, oh, and you no. said, and you said, you know, these things. <laughs> you said, I don't even know what it was. You named a couple of bad things, and you said, anxiety these, and depression. Anxiety, depression. These can be your shepherds, your friends, <laughs> <laughs> leading you to Jesus. Um, but here, here's the thing, and. I'll say. That's definitely going to be a good conversation. It'll be a beautiful you conversation. You guys just get ready. It's coming. It's Anxiety really, and depression are shepherds that lead you to Jesus. You're like, what? what just start chewing on that about? for a while. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I realize these points of shame that have been in my life, they, they lead me to Jesus. Yep. Like they have to lead me to Jesus. My blackness. Mm. Like if I ever feel the, the, the weight of the world because someone that looks like me was just killed, I can, I can run to Jesus mm-hmm. and I'm met with compassion and I'm met with love. Mm. If I'm experiencing depression, if I have panic attack, I can run to Jesus. And not only does he say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. In many of these cases, Jesus can say hey, that, that that's happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, he came as a human. And he is not, as Hebrews says, he's not a high priest who is unacquainted with our grief. Mm -hmm. Like he's not a high priest who is unable to empathize with his people. He sees you, he knows you, he knows your pain, he knows your grief. Mm. And he he uses those things often as shepherds to lead us to him. Uh, It's weighty days, friends. It's heavy, it's heavy days. I can't think of a, a better time for us to be uh, following Jesus, putting our faith in Jesus. And together, Shua, myself, our wives, um, our church, 
and you. Um, we want to walk through this life together, not looking for the quick fixes and the one, two, three steps to your best life. Now, I, I think if that was possible, that would be great. I think the better approach to life is uh, a patient present journey like Shua was just talking about. I am where I am right now. I am who I am right now with my emotions, my depression, my anxiety, whatever it is that you're dealing with personally. And um, I would invite you to not resist that, but to sit with the shepherd and just know even those thoughts of why Jesus has caused this um, will eventually point you to Jesus. Even if you find yourself angry at God, your anger is directed towards God and he knows how to absorb that into the wounding of his son and show you unconditional love. And I'm speaking from very severe and extreme experience of raging anger at God and, and then coming through and being able to find a way, chart a course with him through it. And so um, we have to leave these conversations as they are. We have to leave the tension in your headspace, so to speak, uh, until the journey is done, until our sojourning comes to a completion um, we, we journey together. Um, we're praying for you, um, and trusting, trusting that you and your journey are going to, and are meeting with the living God, the living, breathing God who sees you perfectly, cares for you infinitely, that your first foot forward after turning off this podcast will be no matter where I am, no matter how I feel right now, I am infinitely loved and accepted by the creator of the universe. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. And he is creating out of that love a community. My loved self so that I can give my loved self to other loved selves. Yeah. That's the church. Um, we trust that God's going to grant that, that level of relationship in this life for you um, as time goes on. Shalom, friends. Peace.